0: And chase throw on the run, and it is caught! Touchdown! Keenan Allen, what
1: a grab! That's what I'm talking
0: about! Hey, that's what I'm talking about! That's the Warrior Spirit right there, boy! Huge sack by Joey Bosa! 90-yard touchdown! 90-yard touchdown! It's going to be picked off at the 8-yard line by Derwin James! Herbert sets his feet, takes a shot downfield, has Knight. Caught! Touchdown,
1: Chargers! That's the greatest throw I've ever seen. What is going on, Bolt Fam? Welcome to the Thunder Down Under Chargers podcast. I am Andy Prophet, your host, as per. And with me is Alistair. I think we're coming to you fresh off the Chargers Bills game. Hang on, something a bit weird's going on.
0: daily it's jigsaw here you know i've been watching you for a while now <laughs> you were a real shooting star weren't you rising up the coaching ranks from division Three football to the nfl only four years it took for you to land a head coaching gig and you started off well, too, beating those Chiefs at Arrowhead. Forth and Staley, the fans loved it. They really thought you were changing the game, huh? The year one, what happened to Forth and Staley? You tried to please everyone else, but ended up pleasing nobody. But you blew up like a supernova, didn't you? The perfect ending for a shooting star. You micromanaged. You were stubborn. Not willing to delegate to your staff. Your team couldn't run the ball. They couldn't stop the run. They couldn't stop the pass. They couldn't stop the blitz. What could they do? 27-0, 63-21 to your biggest rival. Game over, Brandon Staley. Might be seeing you next year as a DC. Or maybe. Back in division
1: three. <laughs> okay. Okay. Just how we do on uh, TDU a little bit of copyright infringement, but we, we love that. We love that gear. Guys, a lot to get through. <laughs> oh, that's one way to walk back, uh, walk back all your claims. Hey, Ally boy. Well, guys look a lot to get through a lot really hard to understand or know how to care about the result that we've just sort of watched. Um, heartbreaking fashion. We go down to the bills, 24 to 22, someone's knocking on the door. I think he's back. Welcome, sir. How are you going there? <laughs> hey mate, oh, good to very... be on the show. Yeah. Welcome to the show. Welcome to the show. <laughs> Bravo. Well done. Yeah. I'm glad that money, the, the money on the saw masks paid off. <laughs> Uh, Outside of the bedroom kinks, uh, very entertaining. Thank you for that. Uh, You've got my heart rate up. I'm not a big horror movie guy. Um, Uh. (laughs) Oh, mate. 24-22 Buffalo Bills defeat the LA Chargers at SoFi Stadium. How do you feel, man? They came out and, and, you know, played with... uh...
2: With the kind of energy you always see when a when a new coach comes in and a coach is fired it doesn't it seems like it doesn't matter what the sport is uh or like what the circumstances you just see like jack would say everyone's a bit fresh everyone's a bit loose and light and i thought we saw
1: that today did you notice a difference i did i i think the biggest thing for me was just feeling like um a bit like kellen moore had had his his wings unclipped and could just soar a bit uh we we saw some stuff that no pun and you you, hey yeah you and i yeah good one you and i were both on twitter a bit and i was having fun i think i posted more tweets today than i have in the whole time i've been signed up to the social media brands it was good fun it was it was enjoyable to be able to watch a game live for once it was kind of sad to have it in a moment that the season's done and we were underdogs at home 13 and a half point underdogs as well. And you know what, Jeez, we came out and had a, 10, nothing lead, forcing turnovers, um, and Easton stick looked like, a at times a competent quarterback who'd had more than, you know, two and a half starts in his career. Um, what did you say? What did you think was the biggest difference? You, like it's, it's, it's really valid to say that, uh, the team comes out fresh. We saw it with the Raiders once McDaniel, McDaniel's got the boot. And they were playing under uh, Antonio Pierce. It was just... It was a bit fresh, wasn't it?
2: It also seemed like they pulled out all the stops in terms of the offensive Mm. trickeration. A bit of, you know, Wildcat, Ekler, with the kind of pitch to stick coming in the opposite direction. They moved the ball on the ground. uh, Like, I know the totals weren't fantastic, but at least in the first half, uh, they were moving the ball well. The offensive linemen were getting downfield. Uh, Easton Stick's first drive was really impressive. I thought he... like st- stood in the pocket, threw a few seeds, hit a few con- a few connections with Josh Palmer, so yeah, I don't know it's the kind of, it's it's like the perfect result. I see this so like the team commit like they were valiant, they put in a really strong effort, an entertaining yep. game, but they don't ruin their draft order because right oh. at the end they didn't quite come up come up with the goods, right?
1: Well, there's a there's a pretty famous Aussie rock band um, called Midnight Oil who have a classic hit. Uh, and they say, you say, you say times are tough. We got the best of both worlds. And it kind of was that it was a, it was a very admirable performance. We, we fought, we showed up, there was pride. And like you said, we still, uh, we didn't find a way to lose, but the team lost, uh, and I'm, I'm sticking with my, I'm, I'm a sicko at my fiance and and my dog uh, sitting in the living room and the way they were looking at me in the fourth quarter was who is this guy um, not someone I've known for seven years um, I was I had one beer during the game and it, it honestly felt like I'd had 30 I was all over the place I was so torn uh, like I'm I don't I'm standing by my I never cheer for a loss I never want that that's never my mentality um, but you know you kind of wanted it to Go that way at the end, don't you? Like you, you look at the uh, hashtag blowout for Bowers or something like that. Um, but look, you know, it wasn't it wasn't forty two zero at halftime, as I politely informed another uh, Twitter guy who <laughs> was just a negative Nancy um, getting used to that being the protocol, I guess. Trying to just learning a bit of patience about yourself. Um, there was there was the sort of bugger it. Bugger establishing the run. Let's let it fly. Pass pro stood up with uh, Jaimez under center. Zero pressures mm. were allowed on those first 14 dropbacks. And Easton Sick went six of eight for 94 yards to start the game. You know, there were it was unloading to, um, to Palmer, to QJ, getting touches to those guys. It looked good. Um, and yeah, we, we got up 10-0. We rattled. You could, you could sense that the Bills sort of thought they were going to walk into SoFi and just steamroll us. And we really put it on them. And I felt like the pressure was right on them very late in the game. Um, I kind of won't jump too far into the last sort of three minutes, but right up until that last drive that got the Bills back in front, the the heat was on them. And um, it was, like I said, really admirable and, and just great to see um, that we just didn't kind of roll over and let them stab us in the soft belly. Um,
2: yeah. Multiple turnovers. It's It hasn't happened for a while for the Chargers' defense. Uh, and in in these kind of close margin games, that can be the difference. The Chargers end up securing three turnovers. The Bills don't secure any. So, again, it's a shame that you win the turnover margin three to zero but don't win the game, but I think that's why it was so close. Against a team that's clearly a better roster, uh, they've got Josh Allen, who's one of the best quarterbacks in the league. They're coming up against Easton Stick. So, I mean, for them to have kept this to one score, I think it says a lot to the culture that has been built – all throughout this year, um, the, the assistant coaches, the veteran leaders on the team, they don't, you know, a lot of them are playing for contracts, future contracts, trying to show ownership and future coaches that they should stay in the building. So yeah, I thought the performance reflected it. It would have been really disappointing to see them come out and get blown out by three or four touchdowns. So I hope, let, let, let us know what you think, Bolt, Bolt fans, is this kind of, did, did you wanna see a win? I know if you're a competitor, Part of you always wants to win, but I guess now maybe someone like a Brock Bowers is not completely out of reach as long as the Chargers now go on and lose their last two games of the year. But no guarantee if they play like that, they might just find a way to get over one of these last two teams.
1: Yeah, you, well, you and I spoke um, during the game about uh, the, if there was one game that you sort of wanted to win it probably wasn't going to be this one obviously we've got two division rivals coming up in the Chiefs and the Broncos and the role that the Chargers can play for the next three weeks is the AFC home wrecker um kind of spot and we could have ended or you know done a lot of damage to the rest of the Bills season uh they were touted as a Super Bowl contender and they've they've stumbled because Allen's thrown thrown a bunch of TDs like the I think they're right up there with 31 offensive touchdowns, but he's thrown 17 interceptions. So he's had a down year. The whole AFC landscape has just it's a sad thing because it's been a real open door for a lot of teams. Chiefs are 9 and 5. They're not sort of 12 and 3 like teams like we sort of predicted they'd be. Obviously the Chargers being 5 and 10 is far from where we predicted us to be, but um yeah, it was all, 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 of those things just sort of make that a little bit harder to swallow, and of course the sad irony about losing another game by less than three points, uh, which is just that sort of last little staley mark on the on the unit. Look, it wasn't obviously a perfect uh, a perfect outing, but there was a lot of positives to see. Um, Gilman, oh, look, a lot of people on on the socials really just threw it at well, what is this team when you've got linebacker Kenny Murray Jr. Manning, Gabriel Davis on that 57-yard touchdown completion. If yep. you sort of look, next-gen stats do a great kind of uh, visual of how the routes unfolded, and you saw that uh, it, it just went from, from left to right across the field, just a blown coverage completely. Derwin James kind of stepped up and took, I think, Shakir – uh, or Diggs and then Hawkins and Aloi Gilman stepped up as well and you end up with the free back well deep right of the field and Kenny Murray just doesn't have the wheels. You might say, "Hey, look, probably an opportunity to to play some of the younger guys. I, I think we've got a third round pick in in the in the stables who's pretty athletic, not too bad in coverage, but there was well, we a We had two ring. in this
2: game. There was there was mm. JT Woods declared inactive. He's had a weird year, and no one knows what's the explanation for the non-football injury. But he's back from that, and they decided to declare him a healthy scratch. And then I, I took over what you're about to say, Dayon Henley. He might have had a couple of snaps, but I don't. I don't get it. I'm a, look happy with the performance, but still a bit odd that you're giving Eckler 15 carries, three receptions, and Spiller has two. And you're missing these opportunities. Another one we've discussed on the show is mixing up the offensive line and getting Jordan McFadden in there, potentially for Pipkins at right tackle or moving Sawyer across to right tackle, letting McFadden play right guard. That didn't happen. So I don't know. I feel like there were some missed opportunities to blood these younger players like Dayon Henley, especially in a game that is really meaningless from a win losses standpoint. And I think you, you touched on it. Like, even though it looked superficially better, you're not going. All you're doing is glossing over real problems. And I'm again, sure. what 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 did we see? Michael Davis getting exposed numerous times in coverage. Gabriel Davis has 130 yards uh, and a touchdown. Uh, what what else did we see? Four on four catches. We also saw. Uh, the first half looked really good from a pass protection standpoint, but then come the second half, by the end of the game, we've allowed five sacks again for
1: 40 yards as well. Yeah.
2: And it was the same kind of deal with blitzing defenders, not being picked up. There was a really, uh, an obvious one where stick just didn't recognize that they were sending someone from the slot. Uh, I forget who it was now, but if you uh, the weak side, it. the weak side, um, by Russell Douglas. Yeah. Russell Douglas. Yep. Thanks Andy. Um, and Everett then immediately turned to him for a hot route. Easton had already gone to a different space of the pro- progression. These are the same issues that have come up all year and and which has led the team to a 5-10 and 10 result and, and record. And I, I, even though there was that same fight and willingness and instinct, we still saw the bones of the same defense with soft coverage cushions on the outside allowing completions. We saw Michael Davis getting exposed. We saw some missed tackles. And ultimately we couldn't pick up the blitz when it mattered at the end of the game. So that's why we lose what otherwise could have been a really exciting win.
1: Yeah. And it, yeah, like I said, uh, I don't like cheering for the loss and I was absolutely torn with how I wanted to see the rest of that game pan out. And it was probably halfway through that fourth quarter where I could really sense that the pressure was on the bill was false start on the the punt deep in their territory. And I thought, Oh, I don't even care anymore. Shove your draft pick spot up your ass. Like, let's, let's upset this. Let's, let's wreck home. And, um, it was a real, it was a real chance. Um, but it like, even though I signposted at the start of the game, I I felt like Kellen Moore was sort of unclipped and, I thought he, the way that he scripted the start of the game was sexy. It was new. It was, it was unconventional to a degree relative to how it's been throughout the year. What did you think as the game went on about how Kellen Moore called the plays? Did you, I won't, I won't, uh, lead you into anything there.
2: I, I didn't notice any like a huge difference. It's not like I thought he got, um, conservative or took his foot off the clutch. I still saw, I liked in the third quarter, especially. We're talking about first and 10 in their 30, and you're still going for a deep completion to Josh Palmer. I think you're just working with some limitations when you don't have Justin Herbert under centre. We saw uh, some issues on third and longs where Stick really struggles, I think, in some of those situations. He struggles to keep his eyes down the field. He does drop his eyes and look at the rush uh, a bit. But, I mean, I thought that overall, that was a pretty well-called game by Kellen Moore. I can't think of any one instance where... Uh, I was thinking, oh, we shouldn't have run the ball there, or we should have done this instead of that. It was it was a pretty good game plan, I thought, for a backup quarterback. Um, did you did any like receivers stand out to you in the absence? So missing, we've missed Mike all year. This time, we also miss Keenan. Any of the guys, a wide receiver stand out to you, mate?
1: Um, look, I think the two guys that had. Oh, sorry. The one, the one receiver that I thought had flashes, uh, was Josh Palmer. Uh, and I think he still under contract until 2025. So there's going to be, you know, great, um, great areas to sort of work in. I, I do believe that we'll lose Mike Williams in the off season. Uh, I'd be shocked if Kellen Keenan Allen rather, uh, goes, but cap situation is dire. We can get into that a little bit more, uh, in detail later, but, um, Josh Palmer had some moments also had like, you know, uh, Johnson number seven for the bills in defense is just a physical defender. And there were just times where play the opportunity was there, got smashed on the other side of that dealing with physical defenders. I can't, I can't express my love more for this guy in, in the stretch down the field. In fact, the whole season, Gerald Everett, uh, seven catches, 42 yards, continuously mm-hmm. breaks that first tackle, gets the yards after contact, gets the first down. He got absolutely smoked numerous times. And they're the sort of hits that you just kind of go, okay, he's in the tent for, you know, a drive or something gets back up, really impressed with how he played. Um, a little touch for me, just going to a couple of the other, uh, players. We spoke, uh, offline about, uh, some of the blitz pickups by the running backs in pass protection. Hmm. It wasn't great across the board, but you know, like we said, we surrendered five, gave up five sacks for 40 yards, but there were just a couple of um, crucial plays where Spiller picked up the blitz and you notice the difference between him in pass protection and Josh Kelly, Josh Kelly looks absolutely Let me give you the lost. floor. Go. <laughs> no, I was no, going to say, let me give no. you the floor.
2: Uh, Your man, Kelly, he he did the same thing he's done all year, didn't he? He he really does struggle. A lot of the time, the fault is his when we're looking at a a missed pickup of a linebacker. You want to put your face in the fan, Andy? That's Um, right,
1: JT. JT Sullivan. He doesn't. He doesn't
2: put his face in the fan. But like you said, Spiller did. Um, And on that one drive, there were three instances where Spiller picked up two. And then on that missed completion to Palmer where Johnson broke it up, Eckler did a fantastic job picking up the blitzing linebacker. So... You know, baby steps. Maybe by next year we'll actually have some run, run, running backs who know how to pass protect, but it's not going to be Josh Kelly, and I think he's not going to be on the roster next year.
1: Yeah, I. Uh, oh, look, I, I, it's it's not my place to say I don't think he should be, but I think that the new installs at coach and GM would recognize that, um, recognize the deficiencies. You in this game, you need all rounders in the running back position, especially the way that we've crafted our running backs. Uh, And look, it could be a complete overhaul. And we just look at that one solid power back and then a bit more of a flex running back where, you know, you can rely a little bit more on the pass block and the receiving game and stuff. But the way look, we just don't have that as it stands and it sticks out uh, quite, quite ugly uh, in times where Josh Kelly just, you know, Struggles in the receiving game and struggles in pass protection. One carry for minus two yards. I tend to agree with you. Ecla had uh, 15 of the 27 total carries. Um, he stick, ran well. He ran well. Yeah, he did. I he just did. don't know the, value,
2: um, the future value there. Unless you're just well, doing it as a favour to him.
1: Yeah, is there is there an element where you, you feed him the ball where he can kind of beef up his stats and sort of show the league that he is, you know, he's shaken off these injuries that he's had that have hindered the early parts of this year and maybe even promote more of a contract in his upcoming free agency where we could net more of a compensatory pick. I don't know. I Like I know that there was a report and forgive me. I don't know the sideline commentator. I missed the sideline commentator. Could have been Melanie Collins, but I think I'm wrong. Uh, where she had reported that Giff Smith had said, not looking at giving rookies snaps unnecessarily. We want to win. We're coming out and being competitive. Um, and look, I, I really admire the way that um, uh comported himself this week and the way that he's spoken about leadership and the pride and all of these things. And you've said it as well yourself. Uh, we need to instill a winning mentality in this team because it's something that we've really lost. And it's a... It's a culture thing as well. So I don't disagree with him completely, but I also just think now is the opportunity where wins and losses don't mean anything uh, in the scheme of the season other than the drafting. And it'd be good to get some more touches. Would have been nice to see more passes thrown QJ's way and stuff like that. Um, Yeah. He had uh, his moments,
2: but, but yeah, again, not super actively involved. He had what the two catches for 29 yards, I think. Um, on that topic, I I find it hard. You, I totally buy into the idea that you want to create a winning culture and that is something the Chargers have lacked. You also need to find out what's behind door number two to help prepare for some of these off-season moves. And at the moment, Eckler has a few triggers for incentives in his contract that he hasn't hit. Him hitting those doesn't actually benefit the Chargers. I know it sounds... Um, like I'm Stingy. being the Grinch just yeah. in time for Christmas. But, but I mean, seriously, if you want to look at it selfishly, him not performing these last through three weeks could assist some kind of contract renegotiation with Eckler where you say, hey, look, you didn't have a good year. Your ankle was sore. How about it? We go go ahead again on a one-year deal, something where you can hit free agency again next year. That would be one approach. The other approach would be, we want him to be as attractive as possible to other suitors on the free agent market so let's have him really ball out these last 3 games and maybe we get a better compensatory pick when some other team gives him a contract
1: yeah i tend maybe to think that's the idea yeah i tend to think that there's there's you know not necessarily super strong arguments for or against but i think they're both relative points of view there's also for the coach coming in there's the continuity, which Justin Herbert has lacked severely. The chemistry that he has between with Eckler and Keenan Allen is um, a big reason to want to do whatever you can to try and keep guys like that on the team. Um, I think, like we said, we'll probably have to forego uh, Mike Williams going forward, just because we are $42.2 million under the cap heading into next season. Um, but, you know... I don't get paid to be a head coach and to deal with all these things. So I'm absolutely speculating from 16,000 kilometers away. What do I know? Uh, they're just, you know, I come here to give my opinion and that's all I got. Um, is there anything more on the offensive side of the ball that stood out to you? Anything in the past protection? I thought Himes actually kind of stood up. Okay. I felt safer with Himes uh, at, and sure, the bills defense were missing a bunch of guys, Matt Milano, um, and a bunch of others to to say the least, but Michael Hyde, guys like that. Um, but I kind of felt like I felt safer with Jaime's at times than, than I have with Will Clapp.
2: Yeah. I thought Ed Oliver started to have his way with the interior of the line as the game developed. I don't know if it's something about second halves and just like, I don't know, reviewing and making adjustments and changing how you're sending pressures. But I would have totally agreed with you in the first half. But by the end of this game, again, you're looking at the five sacks and a few whiffs because we're recording so soon after the game. We don't have the benefit of any kind of deeper analytics. But just the eye test, I totally agree. I thought the pocket looked clean the first half, ran the ball, as well as we've run in one half for a while, at least the second half of the season. But then, I don't know, the recency bias creeps in. It's left me with a bit of a sour taste in my mouth, just looking at the fact that... The game, we couldn't make the plays when it needed to be won in quarters three and four and end up losing by two points. It's kind of just more of yeah. the same, the way this season's gone from my perspective.
1: Yeah, I agree. Yeah, the way that the, the sort of sack started to roll in late on those crucial downs, you know, field position, getting absolutely dirtied because missed protections and stuff like that, you're you're spot on. And a lot of that sort of comes down to Easton Stick and his... Um, Experience, uh, recognizing those pressures and just learning to throw the ball away rather than, kind of, um, I mean, he wasn't like Jake Browning was in the game earlier, who was, you know, under pressure and rather than throwing the ball away, was just throwing red zone interceptions to the uh, the Steelers defense. So not great. I'm grateful Bob. that it sort of. Yeah. <laughs> Um, all right, on to the defensive side of the year. Actually, before we go, I want to talk to you. We've spoken. We spoke last week about kind of core players moving forward. Where does Gerald Everett sit for you in that? He's heading into twenty twenty four as a as an unrestricted free agent, uh, thirty years old. I just had a quick check on Track. He's sort of valued around that two to three years, around eight and a half million. We're in a sticky spot. It's you know with what else we've got with Stone Smart and Donald Parham. I mean, unless you're sort of taking a, a home run hit in that first round, in that early first round, is there is there any room or like want to kind of manipulate things to keep him? What do you think? I find yeah, him I... personally. I, I I love him. I love the way that he goes about it. Um, you know that as well as you know me. I think and uh, yeah. I, I like. I don't know. Is he that? Is he that valuable? Am I completely overrating him? What do you think?
2: You're not overrating him. I think. There's any risk where you're going to enter a new season without any of the same tight ends on the roster. Like I don't have the list in front of me now about the status of uh, Parham and Smart. I think they are the RFAs or um, some form of, of a free agent. So I, I think there's some value. If you're going to, we're probably going to be only able to prioritize one or maybe two internal free agent to keep. I know a lot of people will say Alohi Gilman is the guy because he's played really yep. well. But there's something about Gilman where he's the type of guy I think it almost does behoove you to allow him to walk for a good deal because we're already paying Derwin James the best part of $20 average annual contract value. Do you really want to pay two safeties when also there's a bit of, I think there's a bit of scheme specificity with Gilman's production where you don't know what scheme the new defensive coordinator comes in to run. If he's going to play a lot more single high man coverage, I'm not as sure that you want, Gilman playing center field 25 yards off the line of scrimmage. So Everett, I think, would be the guy I target before someone like Gilman because it means, you know, Herbert likes to to hit him. He's reliable. His hands are reliable. He's been available. He hasn't missed too many games through injury from memory. And he's, I think he's more of a receiving kind of slot tight end. So if you did draft high enough to take someone like Brock Bowers, who is a – traditional wide tight end who can block as well as receive, I think him and Everett would be a really nice combo. So depending on his price, absolutely consider re-signing Gerald Everett. Let's go. He's been one of the very few strong free agent pickups uh, under the Staley tenure, I think.
1: I'd probably argue that in in his tenure, I think he has had a couple of injury niggles. Nothing too crucial, but there's been a quad here, a hip there, where he's missed a couple... Uh, just for what it's worth uh, not, I'm not even gonna look up stone smart because uh, he'd be mm-hmm. on bugger all uh, but Donald Parham is under contract next year base salary is 1.125 mm-hmm. million so mm-hmm. there you go but same kind of same kind of pond really he's had concussion problems injuries I feel like he's 6 foot nine and made of glass um, it's a bit of a bit of a concern but look it's you're right a lot of it is scheme relative Um whether Kellen Moore stays or goes, he you know we love it. we know that he loves his tight end, so we'll sort of see what happens there. Uh yeah, but eight point five mil a year recommendation. It's steep when you look at where we are with how we're paying everyone else. I think Gilman's the perfect uh chatterer uh, to move on to the defensive side of the ball because um a lot of Chargers fans would be like, no, we've gotta keep him. We gotta gotta keep him Uh, because he had the forced fumble, he had the interception, which is a heck of a play. But for mine, I see him similar to how you've kind of alluded to as a less athletic but more football IQ kind of player, kind of safety, Uh, the strong safety type today it sort of felt like a bit of the opposite. I felt like he made a couple of mental errors like that mm. play um, where Kenny Murray's going to get gashed for his coverage grade against Gabe Davis, where if you look back at the play, Gilman really just bit up on that, on that kind of um, shallow crossing route and left the, the deep right of the field open. Uh, but on the other hand, you know, had the forced fumble, incredibly athletic, awesome read play. Uh, I think it was Stefan Diggs was the targeted receiver, leapt out to make that interception and, um, that was probably one of those, another one of those moments that had me going, "Whoa, yeah, uh, let's get fired up and bloody go and win this game." Um,
2: Hawkins played from, a right too from the safety spot. Had a he couple had of moments. moments, yeah,
1: yeah. Agreed, agreed. Michael Davis, uh, Tatar fell well for all consideration, he 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 lost. He had lost a big play against. Yeah, stick the AK right up it, mate. He lost that big play down the sideline to Gabe Davis, and you could see on the run play following that that pass play was still in his head, um, and he missed a sort of three four yard uh, in the red zone. Uh, allowed you know this close is, to this is in quarter down. three,
2: right? When they're in our yeah. red area, James Cook is uh, running wide zone outside to the left. Yep. just after yep, exactly the big completion to Davis. Yep, and he yep. and then he kind of he just missed an opportunity to tackle, which took them to the one yard line, and they yep. end up running the the Philly special, or not the Philly special, the Tush push, the brotherly shove, and the uh, Josh shove Allen go, as, uh, goes uh, in for the touchdown. Said.
1: Well, we got a we got a nice goal line stop on the uh, previous play. Uh, I, I, yep. Look, I, I thought at the time it was Nick Williams; it could have been Tito or Johnson. I just saw a big body yeah, with a ninety Kendricks something was in there too. Yeah, there was a good stop and then obviously Josh Josh Allen got in for that just left of the, the centre uh, rushing touchdown, one of his two scores for the game. Um, Derwin James, didn't see much of him in the safety, haven't seen much of him in the safety. We've spoken a lot and look, it's widely known that he's had a down year as far as he's concerned. What did you think of him in the slot uh hit and miss. I thought he had some
2: good moments, especially against the run. He made some tackles, assisted with some tackles, uh, and then we saw a couple of moments where he just missed a quick slant to K- Khalil Shakir on an important third down. Um, yeah, I don't know. He's, lost he's a bit, not. Didn't he? he did look a bit lost. I think he again. He's one of these guys where first half you look at the tweets uh, on X, I should say. What do you call them? X's posts. Posts. <laughs> you look at the. <laughs> Let's get as boring and stale bread as we like. You look at the posts, first half, you see all the standard gear. Like, oh, you know, the team, Staley was the problem. The team's come out hot. It was all Staley's fault. Look at, you remove him and everyone's playing well. Um, And Derwin was amongst those people. You know, Derwin is this, look, he's looking, he's playing as close to the line of scrimmage as I can remember. But then by the end of the game, we'll find out what his grading is for the game. But I dare say it would just be average because... Had some opportunities to make plays at the end and didn't quite make them. Like he was used effectively as a blitzer from the slot. On one play, he helped force an incompletion. So I'd say like a decent game. It's not like he stood out poorly, but yeah, just a weird year for him. And the team's going to have to decide, is he a building block? I think next year, there's very little chance that he is traded or gotten rid of, rid of for cap reasons, amongst others. A, a yeah. new coach probably views him as a important weapon the real key for him was be will be does he earn the price of his contract in 2025 and 2026 because he's being paid as a absolute chess piece weapon jalen ramsey jack of all trades can do everything that's built into the value of his 20 million dollar a year contract if the new coach decides he's just better off as a strong safety you know in a cover three cover one system where he's playing as a robber or as a buzz safety you're gonna see a real decision about, do we want to be spending $20 million on that type of player?
1: Yeah. Yeah. He he gets touted as the the Swiss army knife of the Chargers defense. And what people tend to forget is that part of the Swiss army knife is that little plastic toothpick that comes out of the end. And I feel like this year he's been that toothpick. Um, Like today there was solid elements in run defense. He got a nice pressure on uh, Josh Allen late in the game, but in coverage in the slot, you know, if there's a couple of guys there, he just sort of loses. I feel like he, he he's been thrust into this role, uh, and it, it really hasn't sort of regressed after they took the green dot um responsibilities off him early in the year. It like he just kind of feels like he is responsible for everything, uh, where he he just needs to be able to recognise his role and execute that. Because moving forward, there'll be uh there'll be a coach that goes He is a cornerstone piece, and we just need to work out how to use him and how to get into his head that, you know, he is not the be-all and end-all. There are 10 other blokes, uh, or let's say five in the secondary, that are responsible for their roles as well. And, Derwin, you need to know that you don't have to do everything. You just need to be... Some some of those Swiss
2: Army military contraptions have like a spoon as well. He's kind of been... Closer to that this oh, this year. Oh, I see what you're toothpick.
1: doing. You're doing the old Naughty to- Spoonie.
2: Naughty spoony. toothpicks aren't bad. I could see you as being a bit of, of a toothpick guy in a, in a hammock, Careful. you know, picking.
1: Careful. <laughs> but there's, there's way I more tools than that I, I bring I to I've got nowhere it. to go with that.
2: <laughs> <laughs> rubbish chat. Absolutely love, rubbish chat. I'm stepping up for Jack. Fi- I'm filling in for Jack. <laughs>
1: Oh, galaxy brain over here! Just talking nonsense. There are far greater tools that I I bring to the hammock than a toothpick. I don't think I've ever brought a toothpick to the hammock. That's a wild uh, comment. Ludicrous! I thought you were better than that, mate. Put your mask back on. Get out of here. Special team stood up for the most part. Cameron Dicker, mate. Name your kid. Have a kid. Call mate, him Dicker. Do
2: you reckon you're getting excited? I said to my wife, "Hey, if we name our son, we're not. She's not pregnant. Um, Dicker." Dicker yes. Lloyd, what do you reckon? Straight up, no. That's fair enough. Didn't even that's consider absolute,
1: it. Absolutely fair. I think in well, this. Well, the day middle Adrian, middle name's
2: already Herbert, so maybe it's a bit much.
1: <laughs> Herbert, oh, good. Uh, yeah, you can't go too too hard on the uh, the Chargers players. Naming some room for Collingwood, huh? Um, <laughs> yeah, but hey, but special special right.
2: special teams was awesome in this game. Awesome. AJ Finley, stand up. Let's give him a Man. shout out. Have we spoken about him all year? Because when Dean Leonard's been out and Not he's like played going gunner role, you see 24 on the screen fairly consistently when you watch yeah. special teams. And I know yeah. a lot of people were surprised he got a roster spot after training camp, but he's really shown why they gave that to him. He's going to yeah. have a role on this team moving forward, him or Leonard, or depending what they do, he's just come up trumps, you know, three to five times during the season. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and what what about what about Cam Dicker? He, he's just from Man. a branding perspective, he's killing it. We've got pro bowl yeah. v- voting going on. He did that kind of better call Saul style, uh, video on Chargers better Twitter, which is Elite. <laughs> and what did he, I think he went five from five today with a, a 53 yarder and two
1: from the 40. And that just, was, look, you know, that was a go ahead, uh, 53 yarder. Um, and there's been moments in this year and last year where 53 Staley wouldn't even have considered allowing Ficken to kind of let the kicking team get out there. But mate, he's almost the safest part of our team with Herbert out at the moment. Um, Bossed for uh, like a a forced fumble. Amen. Ogbong Bamiga gets the turnover. Are you concerned moving forward? Do you think it's just like a rookie season, getting a bit tired, making a couple of errors? But like there was, there's been a few weeks now where um, Darius Davis has has muffed a couple of punts, and he just looks a little bit, sh- little less sure, I should say, in his returns. I thought with uh, maybe one of the kicks late in the game, he had paddocks of space, and I thought, mate, just go, just just send it. You've shown that you can run the house and just felt like he has lost a bit of confidence uh he was sort of stuttering and you know he uses his speed selectively he's poise and then um accelerate but now it's just a bit of uncertainty and i don't know it could just be uh, a long year and he's he's getting knackered but still you, you know leading it, the yeah? league in
2: in hey you see it with these rookie players. The same goes for. Well, Toolie. you've seen
1: it with Tooli as well. With both being out of the game, more responsibility, more snaps have relied on Tooli. It's it's a much longer season than a college season, uh, and even today he kept fighting. There was that one drive where he got tripped, he got held, and then he was he and Kendricks I think got credited with the. It was it was a real team sack, but it was that pressure um, that really started to overawe Josh Allen and. A pretty star-studded um, Buffalo offense. Uh, look, we the the team won time of possession. We won the turnovers. Really, sort of a Chargers way to kind of lose a game. Um, but hey, that's sort of how the how the chips fall sometimes. Um, I thought we were pretty good on our rush defense across the board. Uh, yep, hundred five yards off their thirty carries. Like um forgive me, James Cook has balled the last three or four weeks, um smashing hundred yard games. They they rocked the Cowboys. Kept him quiet. 20 carries, kept 70 him, we, yards. We got him shut down, so and I may have had money on him anytime touchdown score, and he me. So um <laughs> I really went reverse psychology. I just Michael thought, oh, Davis just, almost helped you out there. Ah, oh, I know. Can't do anything. I thought I'll just reverse psychology of this a bit and just chuck a parlay on a lot of bills things. Most of them came up that did not, uh, and we almost got away with a win. I thought it was a little bit too cheeky to go Buffalo on the line at minus 13 and a half, even though I, you know, 10 days ago when we did the pod, um, I predicted 42, 10, I, I just expected a colossal blowout, but there was an arrogance that Buffalo bought today and almost pulled their pants down in public uh it would have been the commentators are talking about it being a trap game would have loved for that to have gone down but unless there's anything further for you we we moved to five and ten um bills get that win and go nine and six now still banging on the door of the very congested wild card hunt in the afc and uh yeah, we just kind of keep hoping that we can see a little bit more from some of these guys. Uh, I feel like against the the ch- uh, the Broncos next week, and then the Chiefs. Yep. Um, there's a lot to play for. I'd love for if we were going to win one game, I'd really love for it to be against Denver. To be honest, totally, uh, that's really... the one you want to see that you oh, sh- show up. Man. Show up Sean Payton, who is you know
2: at mile not high. so subtly championing for the Chargers gig at Mile High. They're still in the wild card race at the moment, depending on how their result goes this year. Sorry, this week, so that'll be yeah, that'll be that'll be good to knock them off. Um, yeah, maybe maybe we step back if you if there's nothing else to talk about from the game.
1: Uh, I think we've we've done our dash. There's probably out of the forty two minutes that we've been running now. I thought there's probably thirty five more minutes that. Um, We've had that we might not have had it if it was a blowout. It would have just been like eh, stuff. Totally, it. It wouldn't is have what known it is. what to say. But, uh, so there's, look, there's good fun. There's a lot of good stuff to take away from it.
2: Pretty good performance. Um, a couple of other things from this week, and we'll start to pack, unpack this more as the the ensuing weeks go on. One is head coaches, which we'll park for a second. The other is uh, an article came out. Kind of the 48 to 72 hours after Brandon Staley was released, we recorded our show with Jack and it was great to have him on. Thanks to the listeners who supported that and clearly enjoyed it too. He'll be back. We love Jack more... as much
1: as you do, you guys do, but it's awesome to see your support. Thank you We guys. have fun
2: making, pe- you know, we have fun poking fun at him, but he's an integral member of the show and he'll be back on a you know, more sure. permanent basis shortly in the new year. Um, but look, after rumor, we rumor, recorded... has it is,
1: rumor has it he's getting settled, settled in down in the apple Isle of Tasmania, and the studio should be up and running soon, which is very, very fun for us and all of you guys listening to get uh, Jack's wise words.
2: Will he listen to this though? So we've got to kind of decide like what we're going to do moving forward with the head coaching search. In the last few days, there's been an article released on ESPN by Chris Rim, um. The headline was why a disconnected team was Brandon Staley's downfall. Chris Rim, I should say, at the outset only started covering the charges in September this year. So when I saw the article, uh, and I listened to all these press conferences, the Chris Rim questions in the last eight weeks have been quite pointed questions to to Staley, like, "How do you feel about your position with the franchise? You know, why are you going to continue to call the defense?" I I, I recognize Chris Rim as this new voice who was asking quite direct questions so i wasn't super surprised when i saw he'd written an espn yeah. style expose retrospective and just to hit a few high points he he signaled he there are a few like little anecdotes or vignettes in the story one was during the jacksonville playoff loss staley was seen screaming having a screaming match with michael Wilhoit, the linebackers coach on the sideline you know Michael Wilhoyt defending himself saying "dumbass play call and then he ended up being fired at the end of that year. Um there was some reporting about Not how... for saying St-
1: dumbass play call, but because he believed Staley believed that he was the weak link and the linebackers had stuffed up on the dumbass play call play on. Correct.
2: And you don't know if I mean, this this kind of teases out some of those things about, you know, willingness or lack of willingness to take accountability or to have your authority challenged, but he ended up firing him. Uh, There was reporting that in the locker room when Staley said, you know, games like this happen to the guys, that that didn't resonate with every single player. And some of the individual stories... It kind of like the overall vibe was that under Staley, there was a bit of a fraternity. You were either in with the coach or you were out, uh, certain players, for example, if it was their birthday, he'd say, Hey, it's this person's birthday, Zion's birthday, happy birthday Zion. And then someone would say, Hey, it's Henley's birthday as well. And he'd go, Oh yeah. Ha- happy birthday day on kind End of brush. End of practice. See you later. Um, and naturally I like, well, before I give my take, you've read the article, what, what was your view and what I want to say is interesting for the US listeners is in Australia and maybe I'm sure it's the same in the US as well. There's a kind of code of ethics where you will give a person a chance to respond before you publish an article. So you would say now that you've included some stories that clearly paint Staley as I don't know, a, not not a great manager of people or a poor leader. It's interesting that there's not a line at the end of the article that said, you know, approach Brandon Staley for a chance to comment and he declined to comment So it really, it's easy to kind of put out one of these hit pieces where the coach has no chance to kind of defend themselves. They've already been fired and you kind of come out and you pull out this article. What did you, what were your takeaways or observations from the article, mate?
1: Well, I think hit piece really sort of sums it up for those reasons. Um, the article finishes and I find not necessarily what's quoted in the article, but you could tell. Another team source said of the loss in support of Staley. No one was laughing at Staley's jokes in the meetings, you you know, uh, a couple of years ago. People were laughing. Now no one's laughing. It's another team source. I, I know you can't name your sources, but it just sort of felt like there's a, a various source said this and a various source said that. And I just feel like it's kind of clutching at what... It's clutching at the negatives of... He's gone out there looking for... Um, and I'm not defending the uh, the character of Staley because the way that I've seen it um, regress, uh, by the way that he's been snappy at press conferences and stuff like that, he you know has clearly shown a, a lack of accountability and a willingness. And maybe to the change. Will Hoyt
2: example is another example as that. I think Kyle tweeted something similar when it's yeah. when you're under pressure, are you accepting, yeah. embracing responsibility, or, or are you lashing out? It,
1: yeah, and I feel like he's he's breaking a lot more than he's sort of sticking by himself. Um. Uh, yeah, there's just the. It just seemed very targeted, and it seemed like this is how it is. There's no two sides to this story. Clearly, on the field, it shows that he's been sort of inefficient at um uh, getting the the team together, and that's sort of how it is. So I uh, look. All of it kind of makes a little bit sense. It does sort of add up to a degree. There are various things. You know, finishing the article by saying no one's laughing at his jokes—it's not there. He's not the, the the classroom jester, like I usually am. He's you know a leader of men, and I you know never really considered in any appearance that I've had Staley in for him to be a funny guy or anything like that. There was just a few kind of cheap shots. So I think for for things to really be resting on an article like this um, is is kind of weak and cheap, but. I feel like there are some points that he makes that are fair points. And I feel like things like Staley's guys, we spoke about that. And, you know, Mm. when the, the DC, that's always sort of the case that when the DC comes in and it's his defense and it's how he wants to work it, he brings in his guys. And we saw from year one where the Chargers defense was still very, very low in the rankings. And then he brought in Morgan Fox, Sebastian Joseph Day, Khalil Mack you saw that there were parts of that that worked and parts that I've never really felt like Austin Johnson is another one. And the two interior defensive linemen, and it's funny that, you know, five days or so after uh, Staley gets ousted that Sebastian Joseph Day has gone. And I feel like that might've been one of, he might've just been one of those guys that thought, this is crazy. I can't believe you've got rid of this guy. And they're like, well, you're going to cost us seven and a half or eight and a half million next year. See you later. We've got. You may as well go got, now.
2: You can pl- land on a playoff contender. You're gone at the end of the year yeah, anyway. And look, let's you know, let's do it now.
1: The joke, the joke will be on us if you do la- land it. You know, uh, at the Ravens or the 49ers or something like that. But at the end of the day, cleaning out the the toxicity of the the playing of the off field stuff and the character stuff is um, is important. I don't know if there's sort of any more drastic sort of takes I have of that um, I have big be- I've grown to believe that he is a st- Staley is a stubborn man and um, yeah. I think it's just it's it's you look at uh, at the game like today and sure the defensive performance wasn't that much greater than it has been but the lack of willingness to try something different you know to just take your role as the head coach and the The person that runs the whole team um and not sort of give up the play calling duties to derek ansley that speaks volumes when you're you're not self-reflective jack would be phenomenal at dissecting this greater than i would be but i like i think i'm sort of roughly hitting the same points his lack of willingness to try something new he's just this is how it is and uh i'm not going to veer away from that and it's the banging your head on the wall hoping that it stops hurting or hoping that you, you stop feeling it. It's that trying something a bunch of times, not changing, expecting a different result. What irked me is the reports of the lack of harmony, or uh, the lack of sort of camaraderie, I think for better words, within the team. You know, there's a, a disconnect between the, the, the various phases of the group, predominantly the offence and the defence, that really sort of stuck out to me. And that, to me, is what the head coach's role is, is getting... Different units of players to perform at once, and we saw that with consistent lack of cohesion across the um, the phases, not playing complementary football, things like that. So, while I've taken a big jab at um, Chris Rim's article, I think it's at at at, at various points a low blow. Uh, I think there's some kind of legitimacy to what he's saying. Uh, so I'll just sort of flip back on what I've started out by saying, but I, but I look, I think there's validity in a couple of the things, anything that sort of speaks volumes to you that sort of shocks you a bit. I think you, you've always got to assume
2: that the person knows something that you don't. So you don't want to discount everything. Um, I thought it was a bit haphazard, the the various sources and he did present both sides where he would say, you know, Quentin Johnston really appreciated the way Staley took him under his wing.
1: There mm. was maybe a bit of
2: an in-group versus out-group vibe within the team. I find with these articles though, they can be kind of reductionist where they're leading you to draw a conclusion that, you know, this was all over the moment that the Jacksonville debacle had. And, you know, Staley was unfit to lead this year. And this is where we are. And maybe that is partially correct, but what I would kind of challenge the listeners to think about is a lot of other things go wrong to get you to that point. And after the Jacksonville loss, it could go one of two ways, right? They then went and, implemented an entire off-season strategy, which included signing certain guys, not releasing certain guys, not trading Joey Bozer, drafting Quentin Johnston, not drafting a tight end. All of those decisions could have led to an outcome where this article never gets published because they handle their business better in the off season, sign better players, and they come out and win some of those close games this year. We've also seen some issues with new players and new coaches who went there last year during the Jacksonville debacle. The Kellen Moore thing sort of worked, sort of didn't. There's been these real issues with blitz protection and then just you know, like run of the mill injury stuff, losing Lindsley early, losing Boza for good periods of the year, losing Mike Williams. So it's all easy to say, uh, oh, Brandon Staley was a cancer that they had to excise and he was Crazy. the problem.
1: Yeah. But uh, <laughs> see what you're saying. <laughs> um, <Got ya. laughs>
2: but I think that's a convenient thing to say at the end after the Raiders loss in particular, which was a terrible loss. It's easy to say that when really the story of the season was many close losses and a multitude of things that went wrong. I don't know if it's kind of that clear that, that he was doomed to fail from the get-go because he was a terrible coach. In fact, we were talking to our friend Dom, who no, no doubt will be listening to this, works for an Australian sporting Dummy. organization who took a very different approach after a losing season with their coach, instead of firing him, they kind of brought in some more senior assistants, kind of reflected on what makes for a better team. And then in the next few years, they went on and won our equivalent in Australia of the Super Bowl, Premiership Cups. Three times in four years. Three times. It's one of the great sporting stories. They went on to a dynasty. Staley's story is year one, nine wins. Year two, ten wins. Year three terrible season they fire him so he gets one less year than lyndon mccoy did some will welcome that but he's a 40 year old coach who finishes with a 24 and 24 record of the ways the charges could have gone next year i think they could have they could have decided to ignore all the fans and go you know what Staley's a smart person he's invested in his self-development We know he's reached out to Steve Kerr and Greg Popovich and goes to Wimbledon. We're going to talk to him about changing things up and we're going to pair him with a new smart GM. And we're going to fix this thing with Staley moving forward. I reckon that that could have worked, even though people will disagree. But I also think the approach that they have taken is also potentially going to work and maybe even more likely to work and maybe I'll leave that as a teaser because we'll get into this on our next show. Hopefully we have Jack back, but the idea of going with a new coach an offensive coach or a new coach, who's been a head coach in the past, who brings that experience and leadership. There are other ways to take us to Rome. And I hopefully that is the the outcome because they decided to cut bait on their 40 year old coach, three quarters of the way through year three. It's a new
1: horizon. Just on top of that, I think, um, it's all well and good to go out and speak to Steve Kerr and Popovich and stuff. But if you're not supported with experience around you, um, you know, like, you know, give Smith's been in the, in the league for 10 or however many years, whatever. That's one guy. And he's had Ronaldo Hill and Derek Ansley's 40 years old. There haven't been that many more support staff helping him, whether or not he'd be open to listening to these sort of things is, yeah, kind of neither here nor there, but I feel like the environment has been a massive part of this situation, and what I mean by that is Echo Dean chamber. Spanos has, Dean, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Dean Dean Spanos has moved the team to LA. That was his decision, uh, and it is. It got to a point where enough was enough, and nothing with what was existing was. You couldn't, you couldn't fire Tom Telesco, for all the like decent picks he's had there have been that many that have like that many failures in the draft alone that have outweighed those and outshone those and there have been i mean the jc jackson is such a poignant free agency blowout um, that it you, you, you sort of needed a little bit more authority and experience to to change that situation and we're in a city where if you don't win you're an absolute loser and that's what la is it's a transient city and you just kind of, I think Spanos' hand was forced. What also killed me is that the way that Staley spoke to the team after the Jags loss, it's unfortunate, but sometimes these things happen in the NFL. That's the same way that he approached the post-game conversation with the team and that had, like after the Raiders lost, The loss, Raiders, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that had you to can't just... You have many of those, yeah. You can't say that twice. You can't say sometimes these happen. These, these losses happen. When, you, happen. when yep. you, you give up six touchdowns in the first half and 63 mm. points against a fourth-round rookie quarterback that hadn't thrown piss the previous four weeks. So And, and maybe we can throw this back
2: at Jack when he joins because the, the takeaway, Chris Rim wrote, Staley was not overly strict about timeliness, didn't lose his temper, receptive to input from team's leadership and assistants, I yep. feel like it was a very player empowered group, but with a lot of focus on the leaders. So I think that's where you get this favoritism where he goes, this is going to be that's a player driven sure. program, but it's Kendricks, Derwin, Herbert, and maybe yep. they they were Staley's guys and he allowed them to kind of rule the roost, but perhaps not holding them to account when they needed to be, especially Kendricks and Murray, whose performance on the field has not always kind of warranted the leadership position, especially SJD, who really was a bus, a bad signing for the Chargers. You paid him to be a stalwart in the middle of the defense, played at a below average level the entire time Agreed. he was a Charger. Anyway, uh, I promise one... this will be the last time I try and do like a, a Staley a defense, a real back. But I will end by saying like Staley leaves now as a guy who I still think has a future as a ve- as a good coach in the NFL. It might, he might need to go back to being a defensive coordinator for a few years. Maybe it was too early for him. As, I, as Jigsaw said in the intro, he burned out like a supernova. He was too much too soon. The Chargers could have stuck with him and let him grow through that, having invested three years. But as you said, in the transient city of LA with a win now mentality, they've said, we don't have time for this. We've gone with three years. Let's bring in someone with a demonstrated capacity to win playoff games.
1: Yep. Yeah, it's it's all in and we've gone we've ended up all out. Uh I'm hoping just between you and me and while we're on the air that next week we can take some some more shots at Telesco <laughs> for how Yeah, we
2: left that out basically.
1: We have, but we're we're ticking on to an hour now, so I think yep. as far as Christmas Eve here in um in uh, the, in Australia goes, uh, we'll leave that for the rest of the holiday season and we'll take on the new year by having a having a dash at um, at Tommy T and all the pros and cons that he sort of gave this Chargers team because we've splashed a lot of money at some marquee signings and it looks like we've less, left the rest of the room pretty bare. So we'll see. We'll see what the future holds. We've got another couple of weeks at least to talk about some games, but also um, where things are and how how uh, his tenure sort of reflects the team. Uh, has he just lit a match, walked out and left a barn burning? We'll see. Um, mate as a ple- as always an absolute pleasure talking football with you. It was great to get on Twitter today and watch the game live. Just a shame that the season was dead and we were hosting a pretty red hot Buffalo Bills team. We almost had him. I tell you, we almost had him. It would have been great to see the season go, but as uh, as happens, we charge it away and hopefully we can just keep uh, playing competitive football leading into maybe a top five draft pick. Who knows? Could be a bit sexy. There's some names on the board that I'm already getting involved in and um, lots to look forward to. Guys, thanks for tuning in uh, as we sort of do our last show for 2023. It is so much fun. Doing this just for us, but also for you guys listening and your support out there, it's it's fantastic. We look forward to having Jack back next year, maybe getting a little bit more interaction with you listeners as well, guys from Bolts on the Blue. You've always been absolutely fantastic with your feedback um, and your suggestions, more Aussie quizzes hopefully coming up in the off-season as we look <laughs> to get some more of you, uh, you Yankees on the uh, on the blower with us. Uh, we can ask you some ridiculous questions about our culture and see how little you know about the Southern Hemisphere. Um, but, hey, have an awesome holiday season, everyone. All the best for an- the new year and whatever it brings for you and yours. And thanks for tuning into TDU. We'll see you next Merry time Christmas. on the Thunder Down Under Charges podcast. Bye. <laughs> Scott Floyd turning, got it, zigzag, 10, 5, high stand.